Thank you for listening to audio from Dimmon Avenue Baptist Church, 224 Student Ministries. For more information about Dimmon Avenue Baptist Church, check out our website at www.dabconline.org. If you have your Bibles, grab them, open them to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Thank you, Rachel, Michael. I hope singing songs just now has prepared your heart for God's Word, you know. One of the reasons why we sing sometimes before we do preaching is because our souls have a tendency of picking up things in these last three days, do they not? I mean, you started school Monday, right? And you tell me that uh, your, your, your soul has dodged successfully uh, the attacks of anxiety. Were you worried about what you were wearing or who was looking at you or what they were saying or what your teacher said or what supplies you still have to get or whether or not you're going to finish that assignment that's already been given to you and blah, blah, right? We have a tendency of picking up things along the way. And so I hope that you are um, completely at a place where that, that time of prayer that you spent together, that time of singing just now, I pray it's got you to a place where you can learn. And here's where I'm at. I don't pity you because I know what the first day of school means. The first day of school does not mean a bunch of homework, all right? First couple of days of school is typically you just trying to figure it out and getting along with the motions or whatever. And some of you are looking at me like, you don't know school anymore. Well, listen, if you have a bunch of homework, here's what I would encourage you in. This is a time for you to disengage from the fact that you're in calculus and you're in whatever else, uh, sciences or whatever other things. And this is our chance to study God's word. And so I hope you have a lot more hunger in you. So here's a theme for tonight. And um, and I'm sorry, I don't have a a slideshow to help you. Um, But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You could write that down if you're taking notes, but that's just Jesus's words. Jesus himself said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I want to tell you a story because um, we're, the title of this sermon is, is Speaking from Within. Speaking from Within. All right, that's the title. But first, I want to tell you a story to kind of talk about that point. Uh, when I was in China, uh, the missionary there, we'll call him Jay for security reasons, because though he was in China, he was working with a certain people group that are extremely lost. And um, so basically, Jay is this really godly man. Well, I'm be missionaries in China. They have to take a test to prove that they're fluent in Chinese. It takes roughly five to seven years of practice and training to get to where you can speak Chinese fluently, all right? Jerry was about in his fourth year. He's a very smart man. He was already fluent. He had passed his test. But in his fluency, we would be in out on the streets in China and going into subways, tons of people filling them. And, and Jerry was also very comedic, all right? He's a very funny guy. Um, sometimes he was kind of walking the edge a little bit. Um, but maybe some of you know some people like that. But he, uh, he had this habit of, of speaking about Chinese people in English out loud around them right? Because what he noticed is as he got more fluent, he would be, you know, the only Q-tip amidst the black ocean when he got onto the, uh, you know, just all Asians, black hair, and here's this blonde-headed big white guy who sticks out like a sore thumb. He would hear, at times, Asians talking about him, Chinese people talking about like, oh, he's so, you know, the, the American's so arrogant, right? And just making these comments about him as an American. And he got into this habit of when people would come in, uh, he would especially elderly people who maybe he knew would not know English, he would very quickly say things like, oh, man, you smell like a big fish, right? And like, oh, man, like, uh, you know, why are you looking all, why are you dressed all crazy? You know, over there, the couples, people who are dating, it's so cool to match. I'm talking like that's what they do over there. And I'm talking like um, same, same hairstyle, boy and girl, clothes, same, same shirt, same shorts, shoes. If you can match with your significant other, that's the way to do it, all right? And so he would make fun of out loud, People like that, right? Well, listen, Jerry is forced to take a furlough 
All right, Jay, I should say. Whoops, I'll edit that out of the podcast if you're listening, Jay. Um, Jay is, uh, is, is, comes back. They make him take a furlough. It's called, it's called a break. You're there for four years. You have to take a year. Well, while he's here, he's in his habits still, and he stepped into, he was at the, a seminary, and he hopped into an elevator that was full, and this uh, lady walked in, and, uh, and, and she had some crazy hair, and Jerry, look, Jay looks at this, whoops, sorry again, buddy, looks at this lady. It's really not that big of a deal. He looks at this lady, and as soon as she walks in, he out loud, in English, says, your hair looks like it got caught in a blender. And everyone in the elevator looked at him. And he realized, I'm not in China. These people speak English. (laughs) They know what I'm saying, right? And this woman glared at him, and he said it was the longest 20 seconds of his life. Now, here's why I tell you that. What is in us has a habit of coming out of us, okay? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We're going to behold, as you heard read, Jesus is going to tonight say some things, right? And what he has to say are within him. And my challenge to you is, is what is inside you? If you were to speak all the time, you're speaking throughout the day to friends, to mom and dad, to teachers, to sports mates, uh, you know, band members, whatever. You're speaking all the time. And is what's in you and coming out of you, is it God glorifying? That's the question. Because here's the truth. Jesus' actions, words, and thoughts tonight, okay, in the Word, they're going to challenge us. Like, it's really going to challenge you if you let it. If, If Jesus is truly worth following and we believe that it's Jesus over everything or it's not authentic salvation, then my challenge to you tonight is to listen, to pray, and to be engaged. So let's do that now. We're going to take an opportunity for you to pray. You've already prayed earlier uh, with each other. I know that was a sweet time. But this is your chance to engage God alone right there in that little uh, tiny one, uh, three by foot, three by three foot square space you're in. I just want you to take a pipeline, pump it into heaven, and speak to God, all right? So don't worry about who's around you. I'll give you about 30 seconds. Here's maybe something you could pray. God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. It's a good scripture to pray. So I'll give you a moment. I'll interrupt you with a prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for being a God who hears Chinese, English, redneck, you just, you hear. And God, you know, you know the hearts of us, all of us. And Jesus, you know what's within those hearts. Father, I pray that you would lead all of us away from temptation tonight and deliver us from the evil one. We confess, Jesus, that, um, that we, we find ourselves in wildernesses many times, many times not led by you there, but led by our own silliness and foolishness. And God, we need you. And so Jesus, come, come Holy Spirit, as you already have, meeting us in song and teaching us, God, that it's well with our soul if we know you. But Father, I pray that um, the meditations of my heart, God, and the, the, the things you've led me to say would come out tonight, and anything that I would feel led to say on my own would totally be dismissed. May you plant the word. May we receive it. Plant it deep into our chest, God, that we, when we open our mouths tomorrow morning, God, all that flows from our lips is grace. May we breathe in tonight your grace. May we preach your gospel. Help us to breathe in grace and breathe out your gospel. Lord, teach us um, that tonight. We beg, we need it, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke 4, Luke 4, 1 through 13. Last week, we covered this simple sermon. Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, if you missed it, you can follow on a podcast and go listen to it if you missed it, all right? If you missed this one, you can also download it. Every week, we're recording a sermon so you can keep up with what we're doing in Luke. Now, this week, we get to see Jesus in action, right? Like, finally. I don't know if you feel like that, but um, how many of you have been reading Luke? 
Some honest hands, a couple, all right? Listen, I want you reading Luke, all right? I don't want you reading it, studying it. You're like, Wes, I've already read it. No, read it again, all right? Trust me, God's word works like that. If you'll be honest before it and say, God, teach me, he will rock your world every time you read it, showing you more of himself. So read it, okay? But here's the thing. Lots of stuff been happening. Lots of story build up. Now Jesus has been baptized. The, uh, the father has said out loud, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. The genealogy last week established that Jesus is, is the lineage of, of from Adam all the way back, meaning he can save the whole world. And bam, he's God's son. That was last week. What we're going to see now um, is him being led. So look in verse 1, okay? And Jesus, that's what we're talking about, (laughs) full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. I want you to see the Spirit is mentioned twice here. Do you see that? If you take a note, if you write in your Bible, you should underline that. Holy Spirit, Spirit. And this is why I say that. Uh, It's important. He, He is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that sounds like what we've been talking about in Acts, does it not? I mean, think back. If you remember in these first few chapters, we've seen John the Baptist be filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaim a message, right? We've seen his daddy, Zechariah, be uh, filled with the message, filled with the Holy Spirit and speak the truth. Mary, Jesus' mother, has been filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is kind of sharing with these people this idea that he is dependent on God. He's full of the Holy Spirit. But secondly, it then goes on to say that that same Spirit, okay, leads him into the wilderness, I want you to get this. And so first we need to ask this question. What's the wilderness? Okay, imagine with me a map in your mind, all right? Uh, In the Middle East, basically, Jesus was born in Nazareth. And if you followed Nazareth about 50 or so miles um, to the uh, east, southeast, right, you would kind of do this. You would hit the Jordan River. Right? It's a big river, runs and feeds those, those two seas, the Galilee Dead Sea. All right? And the Jordan River, if you crossed it, you would kind of get to a place where John the Baptist, remember Danny's sermon when he's talking about what John the Baptist was saying? John the Baptist was baptizing folks. Jesus was baptized there. Immediately after that happened, the Holy Spirit told Jesus, go this way. And if you go that way, about five miles east, you'll hit arid desert, mountainous Okay, very arid, hardly any rainfall happens there throughout the whole year. Very rocky terrain, just ri- no, no vegetation and things to eat, and only wild beasts out there, all right? And the scripture in Matthew actually says when Jesus was led, it was among the wild beasts. Uh, Mark's gospel uh, talks about that, I mean, not Matthew's. But here's the point of why I'm saying this. Jesus paves the way of what it means to follow God. Like, if we want to know how to follow God, and I would honestly, if I asked you to raise your hand, everyone would say, yeah, I want to follow God, okay? And, and, and yeah, there you go. You, I see some of you. Ready? Ooh, I like that. You're ready to talk, all right? But if I asked everyone that, all of you would say, yeah, I want to follow God. Well, listen, look no further than Jesus. Jesus is the example of how to live a God-saturated Jesus, he is Jesus, of a God-following life, right? And so uh, what, I'm, what I'm getting at is, is Jesus paves the way. And let me tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like the prosperity gospel, okay? Some of you are like, what's the prosperity gospel? Prosperity gospel is a heretical lie. It's a lie where we only talk about God's love, God's mercy, and God's grace while we say, if you will then believe in Jesus, we'll say that, but you have to give him your life, give him your money, give him these things, then God will bless you always. And it'll always be good. It'll always be good. The Spirit of God will always treat you good. But I would argue against that. And listen, you think, well, I don't really listen to that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because I see some of the way you live, and you live a life of luxury. You live a life of comfort, just like I do. And a true Christian should be embracing conviction often to evaluate, what am I really following? 
Am I following the path that God has for me in Jesus, or am I following my own path? Prosperity gospel comes to that. And let me give you some examples in Jesus here. You see, Jesus, I guess if, if, the, if the truth is, is that the, if the prosperity gospel were true, then Jesus should have been born in Jerusalem, mega city right? Got all the beautiful stonework, temple. He should have started his ministry there, maybe really young, right? Had some mentors in his life and been this huge thing. You know where Jesus comes from? The little town of Nazareth. Y'all remember when we talked about that? Someone actually said, what good could come from Nazareth, right? Like who cares about Zavala, right? That's what we kind of talked about, right? And it's just this idea that man, Nazareth, that's where the Messiah, yes, okay? If you're like supposed, like some of us think that faith, because we've listened to the lies such as the prosperity gospel, we think that a true Christian is, should be blessed and loved by every person they meet. They should just get along and just be, just be blessed and loved by every person. Do you know that Jesus was hated, rejected, and crucified? Now, did he have those around him whom he loved and, and, and loved them? Absolutely. But for the majority, you know what most people in that time did? They hated Jesus. They rejected him or they feared his authority and therefore they eventually crucified him. Maybe the idea is to be rich, right? Uh, some of us, we've equated Christianity to meaning that we'll be successful one day in our job, in our money. We'll make a lot of money. We'll have the family, the picket fence, the dog, right? The perfect wife per or perfect husband, and we will just be set. And that must be what faithful Christianity looks like. And Jesus was actually the oldest of a poor family with a bunch of little brothers and sisters, and his dad was just the son of a carpenter. People would later in his ministry, which we're going to see in Luke, make fun of him for that. What good could come? This is, this, is, this is Joseph's boy, the carpenter, not our Messiah, right? Lastly, Jesus, um, the point of all this, I should say, uh, is, is sometimes we think that leader, uh, when we think of a leader of people, we think of one who, uh, who, who gets all the good, all the blessing, right? A lot of teachers and people who really push the prosperity gospel, if you go to their houses, they're mansions, million-dollar mansions, all the cars. And they're saying, look, God has blessed me. You know I'm a leader, and you know I have affluence. You know I can, I can tell you the ways of Jesus because of how awesome, how blessed of a life I live. And Jesus came, and, the, and, and he is our suffering servant. And here, instead of being led to a mansion, like Herod, a guy who we talked about earlier, would have had at this time, Jesus is led to the wilderness. The first path that Jesus goes to is a path of suffering. The greatest miracles are going to be done through Jesus. But the greatest miracle was that he took on humility. Listen to what Philippians says, 2.8. If you're writing down, write down Philippians 2.8. Look it up later. This is what it says, though. It says, Jesus being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's my challenge with all this verse 1 talk. If you find yourself never being led into a wilderness, okay, you find that in your walk with Jesus, what you say is faith and salvation. If you find that you, in all your history and even looking out, if you find that you never find yourself being led into a wilderness, a place of suffering, a place of difficulty, where being a Christian is not popular, where being a Christian isn't the coolest thing to do in school, when being a Christian may cost you friendships, relationships, and other things, it may cost you money or, or even your life. If that is, ends up being the Christian life that you live and you never find suffering, my question to you is, is I wonder, are you even being led by Jesus at all? Are you even being led by Jesus at all? You're like, Wes, where are you pulling this from? Look at verse 2. Verse 2 said that Jesus, as he went, it was for 40 days. 
and he was in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. You see, the Holy Spirit of God told Jesus, go to the wilderness. It led him there. This was God's plan for the son, that he would go and not only be there, but in being there among the wild beasts and no food, he would take part in a fast, okay? He would take part in a fast. And now listen, some people think whether Jesus fasted the entire 40 days or whether he just uh, minimally ate off of the wilderness, here's the point, okay? Here's the point. Nonetheless, he was led by God to seek God through this thing called fasting. Okay, Everybody say fasting, fasting. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing that God, a gift that God has given us. And I can't talk about it long, but let me tell you this. Here's what fasting is, all right? Fasting is feasting, okay? Fasting is actually feasting, and this is what I mean. Some of you think fasting is I give up my iPhone for 40 days, or I give up, you know, my Xbox, or, you know, I don't eat, don't drink dark pepper. Listen, fasting historically in Christianity and in the scriptures teach that it is some form of dietary supplement, right? You're either going to cut all foods out or you're going to cut um, a lot of foods out besides one group of food, maybe greens or vegetables or whatever. But it's a, it's a denying of delicious and tasty um, foods and saying that instead of eating those things, my soul needs God. Instead of my stomach needing food, my soul needs God. Therefore, I will remove for a season this food that's distracting me so I can see my God and behold him. I'm going to fast from this, not eat, so that I can feast on him, okay? Let me say it like this. Um, Fasting is basically this mentality, death to my spoiled brat stomach. And listen, some of us, we all got spoiled Chick-fil-A filled spoiled brat stomachs. And fasting is saying death to my spoiled brat of a stomach and life to my malnourished spirit my weak, empty, broken spirit. That's what fasting is. The Holy Spirit told Jesus, go and do that, okay? And then if you, you want to see even crazier, did you read that in there? It said that along the way, he was being tempted by the devil, okay? This is about to get real interesting. I don't have time to say more than this, but I'm going to say it, and it's going to be very serious, so I need your attention, okay? This is extremely important. The devil is not a made-up comedy character. He's not a comic book character, The devil is real, active, prowling, fighting, commanding legions of demons and dark angels, and he's at work among us, even in this room right now. He's most at work when God, he's most at work, especially among the people of God, when he's dismissed by those people and ignored. When we don't think about him or when we don't accredit the fact that we're struggling to, what, to, to his power and influence, well, he is having a heyday among us. When he's, he's most active when he's dismissed. And that person, the devil, is who shows up here. Okay? And through this entire time of Jesus' fasting, he's tempting him. And how do we know that? Listen, I'll tell you, Hebrews, all right? Hebrews, uh, write this one down, Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Boy, this is a good scripture. In Hebrews chapter 2, 17 and 18, this is what it says, talking about Jesus. It says, therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters. That's believers, okay? 
in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Amen. That's, you should say amen on that one because that means that Jesus has forgiven us and in him is an a, a opportunity to believe, right? And to not only believe, but to be pardoned of our sins. Listen to this last verse in that, 18. For because he himself, Jesus, has suffered when being tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Okay? You should write down Hebrews and you need to go look at it later. Because here's what we come into an understanding of what we see here. Jesus has been tempted in all the ways that you and I will be tempted. And yet he's proven, as Hebrews would say, that he's bigger, that he did not fulfill to those, and now he can help those who are being tempted. Hold on to that, all right? We pick up the story, however, with these last three. It's like this final, the final three of these temptations, and we get to kind of see them firsthand. And they're super important, and I want you to see them, all right? So in order to see them, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. I don't do this often, but, man, God was telling me to do this. So if you got your Bibles, you're looking on with somebody, you need a Bible in front of you. It's healthy. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. If somebody next to you is not looking at the Bible, help them out. Show them, show them what we're looking at tonight. 1 John chapter 2. That's not the gospel of John. Some of you are going to go to John's gospel. You're looking for a number one in front of it. Right? The first letter from John. Chapter 2, 15 through 17. If you're there, say, yeah. Okay, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Okay, did you see the three things? What were the three things that said that the people of the world, that, we, the, the, that all that is in the world, what were those three things? The first one, desires of the flesh. Second, desires of the eyes. Third, pride of life. Now, what are these things, right? Like, you're like, dude, this is heavy. What are you talking about, Wes? Listen. Let me make it simple. Desires of the flesh, you know what that's talking about? Carnal sin. Talking about active and present sins that we take part in with our bodies. Where we use our bodies that were made in the image of God to do horrific things to others or to do horrific things to ourselves. Right? Put drugs in them. Put alcohol in them. Put sexual morality in them or with them. We, we, we do that together. We do that separately as individuals in secret, in public carnal sin is what it's talking about there. Secondly, it says the desires of the eyes. You know, Jesus actually said the eye is the window to the soul, right? What we behold, we end up thinking about. We end up letting it fuel our flesh. And so what he's talking about here is your thought and the eye, what you see, what you behold, those things create in you a wicked, wicked desire. It plays on that and therefore leads you to act out on the very flesh we talked about. The third one, which is really the, the center of all sin, is this idea of the pride of life. You know what it is? It's this. I'm better than you, God. I, my plan, my way, better than your way. Right? And it takes on many forms, but it ultimately boils down to this idea of God, my way is best. You see those three, right? You see them? Everybody see them? This is a head. This is yes, Wes. We see those in First John. Okay, good. Go to Genesis 3. <laughs> I told you I don't do this often, but I want you to see something tonight. And I think when we close uh, with this song, I believe God's going to speak directly to some of you. Go to Genesis chapter 3, all the way back to the beginning. If you've ever started a Bible reading plan, you know exactly where Genesis is, right? Genesis chapter 3, I'm waiting for everybody to get there. I want you to see this. 
So we've identified these three, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, that these things are what people in the, who love the world and don't love Jesus, this is all they're consumed in. This is what those who love Jesus and have been called by him struggle with. Now look at Genesis chapter 3. If you're there, say, yes, sir. Okay, good. Hold your spot. Adam and Eve this is the story. Okay, I'm going to go there too so I can see it with you. Adam and Eve are in the garden. And if you know how Genesis 1 and 2 went, God created uh, mankind in his own image. All right? Very powerful notion. Um, it shapes everything we do even today, whether we like to admit it or not. And Genesis chapter 3 picks up in a place where Adam and Eve are in a bad spot. You see, Adam and Eve were created in God's image and his perfection. And they come to this place, a terrible place. They're in a flourishing garden, okay? And God has filled the garden with his presence. And he's, only, he's given them only one command, all right? He's given them one command. And that one command is very simply this. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all right? That's the one command. Now listen, uh, a quick side note because some of you need to know this so you can defend the faith. Um, some of you have friends who are atheists or agnostic or just non-believers, and they sometimes say, if God is loving, then why would he even put the tree in the garden in the first place? Anybody ever heard that before, right? A few of you. Why would God even put the tree in the garden in the first place if he knew, uh, if he was loving, why would he even give us that choice? Listen to me. This is so good. I'm reading a book right now called Human Nature in Its Fourfold State, and it talks about this idea that the tree was a warning to Adam. Okay, think about this. All, God made all the creatures, and all the creatures are on their fours, and they face downward. Why? Because they draw all of their worth, all of their livelihood, their life from the earth. They'll, they'll take from water, from streams, and food from one another or from the, from the ground, and they will, that's where animals will get their worth. And God created them to be like that in the union, in the garden. And then we have God from the dust making man and from his rib making Eve, and he makes us instead stand upward. Why? Why are we so unique that we would stand upward in this way? Let me tell you, because God wanted us to understand something. Our satisfaction, our worth, our desire would never come from the created things. No beast, no animal, no fruit that the ground could yield. All those things may keep us alive, but ultimately they would not satisfy our souls. See, that's why we're different than your dog Fluffy who died, all right? Fluffy will not go to heaven, okay? Fluffy is not an eternal creature. Here's the thing. An eternal creature was made in you. You are eternal. Every person is an eternal creature. And eternal creatures cannot take part in temporary sadness here on the earth. That's not going to be our ultimate satisfaction. So God created us to look to him. For only in God and only above would we find our rest. And God said, here's how I will constantly remind you of that, Adam. Here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you know what trees do? Walk outside. There's a beautiful oak tree that sits out here. I walked out there today because I was thinking about this to preach to you. And I stood at the base of it. And as I looked up it, it, was, it just kind of engulfed me. You ever notice that about trees? You probably don't. You miss the forest and the trees because you're busy. But if you'll take time to go look, they point upward to the heavens. They declare, look what is above they spread their branches out towards it in need of it. And God said, here's this tree, Adam and Eve, and here's what you need to know. I'm letting you see it, and I'm telling you don't touch it. You know why? Because in it, you, this is a warning saying you will not find your rest here. You will not find your rest in the desires of the flesh, in the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. You, what you gain from this world, well, you will lose your soul. But if you will look at, at this warning I've given you and see where it points, it points to me, God who is above. And so here we have this beautiful scene, and the worst thing happens. Someone shows up. In Genesis chapter 3, if you're looking at it, who shows up on the scene? Somebody tell me in the crowd, who shows up in Genesis chapter 3? The serpent. It says the serpent 
was more crafty than any other beast of the field. The serpent here um, is none other than the very same uh, creature that has encountered Jesus in our Luke sermon. It's, it's the devil. Okay? It's Satan. And I want you to see, you know, I, the question we have then is, okay, we have this similar situation, and it's the first uh, created man, Adam, and here comes the serpent, and, and what strategy does he employ? I wonder what he'll do. Look at the scripture. Satan, it says in chapter 3, he approached, um, he approached the woman. And if you'll see and you'll keep reading in this, it'll say he approaches the woman, and man, we later on learn, was with her. So we've got Adam and Eve both there, okay? And he approached them, and look what he says. It says, it says when the woman saw um, that the tree, at first the serpent, excuse me, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree, uh, trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, right? And now I want you to see this. In 6, it says, so when the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, stop. She saw that it was good for food, a desire of her flesh. She saw that she could eat it and it would fill her. A very strong desire of the flesh come upon her. When, she saw that, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, stop. A delight to her eyes. She's already established it'll fill her. But now she sees it and says, oh, I'm thinking now about what that could do for me. That it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Stop the pride of life. This will make me wise. I was already created under the wisest creator I've ever known. And yet this doubt has now come into me. I've seen it with my flesh. I want it with my eyes. I, th- I desire it in my thoughts. And now in my pride, I think it will actually, con- it will, it, if it consumes me, it will be better. And here's the truth. She and the man failed. You know the rest of the story. They fail. And listen, this is our story, okay? This is us. We are full of pride. We see our life how we want to see it, and then we act on how we feel we should act it out. And what can we say for it? Let me tell you some of the things we say. This is what we say about the fact that we are Adam and Eve. We are the sinners. Here's some things that I hear from my own heart and that I've also heard as I've been in ministry. We say things like this. It's not my fault. It's others' fault. That's what comes out of us. When we get addressed about our sin and we, we start learning, hey, you know what? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, you're guilty of that. When that, when that kind of strong truth gets in front of us, we start to say things. So things start bubbling out of our hearts. And we say things such as, it's not my fault. It's others. It's this person a long time ago. It's this person right now. It's not me. It's other people. Sometimes we say, it is my fault. Yeah. And instead of maybe embracing that in a righteous way, we turn immediately to condemnation. And I deserve death. And we turn inward and we turn into self-hatred and depression. And, and we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. And we just, we just abuse this idea. And some of us, we don't say those things. We actually say, you know what, that is true and it hurts, but I can fix it. If I just work hard enough, I can fix it. I can, I can turn this thing around with my good works. Some of us say, I can, I can fight my way through life. Right? We run into the truth of the gospel, the train of the gospel that is just begging you to submit yourself to God and be saved. Right? We run into that and we say, you know what? No, I'll fight. And I'll fight my teachers and my parents, anyone that comes near me. And I will fight my way through life because, because I can save me. I can save me. 
What, what happens when people commit to pride and they say, I can save me, it quickly starts to become drugs can save me, sex can save me, acceptance can save me, morality can save me, my, my own plans can, right? And, and it's this slow, subtle change. Here's the question, the ultimate question from tonight, and then we'll close, is this. What should we say? What should we say? Last time, flip back over to Luke. I want you to get back into our text. Luke, Luke says in chapter 4 here, he covers Jesus' story, and so far it's bad news. <laughs> it's bad news because we know what we say when, we get a, when our sin gets called out, but we need to know what we should say. Well, listen, look to Jesus, my friends. Look to Jesus. You want to know what to say? Check this out. Boy, it's going to blow your, not, it's going to blow your mind right now. The last three temptations we see is first, look in verse 3 in chapter 4. Verse 3 says this, the devil said, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. His flesh is absolutely hungry. He's hungry. Think about when you're hungry and you get that food that you love. I mean, you're really actually hungry, not hangry. Some of you just hungry and angry and you just have an appetite, all right? You just, you did, you ate at 12 and now it's 4.30 and you're like, raw, right? That's called being spoiled. This is 40 days that he hasn't eaten anything. And he could in a moment turn stones into bread. And Satan knows that here. And yet, and, and Jesus, so, so what do we have here? The desires of the flesh. You see that? Jesus is tempted with the desires of the flesh. And when we hear him speak, look what Jesus speaks. He speaks God's word. Do you see it? Deuteronomy 8.3 says that man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew's account keeps Jesus saying the rest of that. Luke's just has the first part. But nonetheless, what comes out of Jesus? It's not uh, blaming someone else, doing this, defending the fact that, yeah, and he eats the bread. It's straight up God's word. Look at the next one. The desires of the eyes. Verses 5 through 7, the devil took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Okay? We don't know what moment, of, we don't even know what kingdoms he's talking about. He could, be, he could have showed him 2016 for all we know, where the United States is this, this world leader. He could have showed him who knows what platforms, and especially in that time, the Romans, all these things. And, and, and here's what he's getting at. He says, look at these kingdoms. Look at them. And I will give them all to you. You know, what is he tempting there? The desires of Jesus' eyes. And from Jesus comes God's word again. Look at verse 6, uh, chapter, uh, or Deuteronomy 6, 13 says, that you shall worship the Lord your God alone, and him alone shall you serve. That's what Jesus quotes. And thirdly, the pride of life. Look in verses 9 through 11. It says, he took him to Jerusalem the pinnacle of the temple. Listen, it's about 255 feet. A high, it's a high, big building, okay? About 250 feet. Church history will hold that they'll actually throw James, right? Jesus' brother. They'll throw him off of it and kill him because he follows Jesus, all right? So this, could have killed, this should have killed Jesus if he was to jump off this pinnacle. Satan takes him up there and says, he go, uh, jump off this. And then he twists the scriptures, right? He takes God's word and he says, he'll tell your angels to come and save you lest you strike your foot against the stone. But ultimately, you know what the temptation is here? It's this. He says, you can jump off of this and 
and you can, if you value, you, you can save your own life. Your life can be saved if you only put God to the test and do this. But you know what that would have been if Jesus would have jumped off? It would have been pride. It would have been saying that I have to, I have to prove that God has to do this because of me. When Jesus very quickly answers with God's word and says, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 16, that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Check this out, students. Upon this real faith, real tested and tried faith, Satan flees. Here's my question tonight, and we'll close. What are you full of? Okay. I put in here when temptation comes. Listen, it's not when, it's right now. I know. I know you because I know me. You were tempted today, this morning. You were tempted last night. You were tempted weeks ago. Okay? And for many of you, maybe it's not even thinking about temptations to come or what you did with those. It's the fact that you failed in those. And here's my concern. I think some of us are coddling sin. I heard this story about this woman who, who had a snake, a pet snake, and she loved it. It was a boa constrictor, right? And I mean, she loved this snake to the point that she would let this snake roam free out of its cage. The snake grew to be about eight or nine or ten feet. The snake began to sleep with her. She would let it get in bed and sleep with her, and, and, and she would just love this snake. And one day, um, the snake stopped eating. It wouldn't eat rabbits. It wouldn't eat mice that she would bring to it. And there was great concern for her. And she's like, why in the world is this snake not eating? And about two months went by. The snake still hadn't eaten. And she was starting to worry because she had saw weight loss. She took it to the vet, and she told the vet, I don't understand what's happening. It's about a 10-foot, okay, 8 to 10-foot boa, big, big, fat snake. And, um, and she took it to the vet, and the vet was, was asking her questions. And she said, look, there's, this snake, is, is, there's nothing wrong with it health-wise. Let me ask you some questions about its environment. And as he probed and asked, he learned that she had had it out of the cage, that she was allowing it to sleep with her. And he asked her, he said, ma'am, let me ask you a question. Is, is this snake spreading out the length of the bed every night next to you? She said, yes. He said, okay, listen, ma'am, I need to tell you something very serious. This snake is not, is not uh, there's nothing wrong with it. It is starving itself. Because it has identified that it wants to eat you. And every night when it crawls into bed next to you, um, it, it lays it stretches itself out. And snakes have a way of doing this in the wild. They'll watch prey, and they'll actually starve themselves as they hunt. They hunt animals, especially bigger snakes like boas and anacondas. And they'll learn when they get to a length uh, by eating smaller things that they can take down a big prey. And they will starve themselves and lie in wait and then consume that creature, Right? consume that animal. And he, this doctor said, ma'am, this snake is stretching out next to you every night because it is literally waiting to devour you. It is getting to a point where it is starved enough and its body can handle it and, and, and it, will, it will try to kill and eat you. And you're thinking, what the heck are you telling me this for, Wes? This is why. Some of you literally let sin get in bed with you every single night, every day. It's not just temptation to you. You coddle and encourage and you think about sin. You plan on it. And you, and you wonder why it keeps happening. Because at D now, God spoke to you and you thought, he, you thought you were cleansed. You thought you were new. You thought you didn't have to go back to that at youth camp. And then all of a sudden, you get to this place where you realize, oh my goodness, what's going on with me? And the reason why is it's not because you weren't empty to that. God may have really truly emptied you, some of you of that as Christians. But you did not then do the, the, the biblical task of turning, as Jesus has done all the way up to this point, and loved God's word to where when those moments of temptation come and the snake tries to get back at you, you literally can look at it and say, no, be gone from here. 
Some of you struggle with anger, been there, all right? And you failed to memorize James 1, 19 through 20, which would command you, my dear brothers, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to get angry, for the anger of men does not produce the righteousness of God, and you haven't stored that in your heart. So when fits of rage come upon you, you ruin yourself and you ruin others. Some of you walk in open sexual addiction, and you have not memorized the sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, where it talks about that you're bought at a a price of Christ's life. Who would take Christ and and, and med him with a, a harlot? That scripture teaches, if you'll learn it, that God himself becomes one spirit with you when he saves you. And why would you take that spirit and join it to a prostitute? Would you? No. Instead, you would know that God has purchased you with life. So honor God with your body. And you don't fight. You, not, you, don't, you don't quote scripture as Jesus does here because, because all you can think about when, when it comes is what's within you is a bunch of, uh, I want to be good enough. And Satan is ready to devour that. You can't be good enough. Some of you say, well, I, I hurt though. I'm so upset. And you throw a pity party and that is not enough. There's one thing that's enough and it's the blood of the son. It's Jesus I wish I could tell you that you could memorize a bunch of scriptures and then you'd be saved. It's not true. You just can't. The invitation tonight is this. It's very simple. If you're here tonight and and you've coddled and you've let sin lie and wait and devour you you and you just feel crushed and broken, you feel strung out and messed up, here's what you need to know. You need to get your eyes off yourself. Because someone's already been bruised and crushed. Someone's already been strung out. Someone's already been erected and raised up in front of a bunch of people, spat upon, hated, taking all those things that you think you deserve. And that someone is Jesus. Jesus looks down from a cross and says, I love you. Take my righteousness. I lay it all down for you. Jesus goes to a grave and he says, death has no sting. Death has, grave has no victory and he conquers death in his resurrection. Jesus wants to look at you, believer, who's here tonight and say, come to me and sit at my feet and let me teach you the scriptures that will prepare you for the wilderness. Look, wildernesses await you all through this year. Okay, some of you already know that. You're three days in and you're drowning. And it's because, you know why? You're not, you're not turning to the one thing that could actually fill you. You're like these animals God's created, and you're looking to the waters and the rivers and the foods and the, and the social media, and those things will not satisfy you. And instead, you need to get your eyes up and see that Jesus alone is what saves. Tonight, if you haven't done that, here's what I'm asking you to do. Pray. I'm not asking you to come talk to me. I'd love to. I'm not asking you to come talk to these adults. They would love you to talk to them. I'm asking you first to talk to God. That's the invitation, that when we sing this song uh, before we dismiss and we go home, I want you, when we say amen, I want you, if you're lost tonight, you do not know Jesus, I want you to take time and come up to this altar and and do not care who sees you and just get before God and say, Lord, save me, please. I love you and I want you. Some of you tonight, you are saved, but the invitation for you is the exact same thing because though you are saved, you've been living like you're not. Every night you get in bed with, with sin and it is waiting to devour you. And you need tonight to just come forward, lay down, Go to these couches, be here, and get before God and say, God, please help me. I encourage you to turn to God. That being said, if any of you find that when you come here that it's uncertain and it's unclear and you're struggling and you have questions, that's when I want you to come talk to me. I'm totally here, want to talk to you. 
Okay, I got sponsors lying in the back room. They'd love to talk to you. You've got friends that you trust and you know that would love to talk to you. Our faith family is about talking about these things. Okay? We've got to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. All right? So that's my challenge to you, uh, church, is that are you going what's to, what's within you, man? What's coming out tomorrow? Is it God's word? Because you met him tonight, you reveled in him, and you just enjoyed him, and he cleansed you again? Is that what's coming out tomorrow? And only, only you and God can figure that one out. But I want you to know I'm praying with you. And so let me do that now as the band comes up. All right, don't let that distract you. Hey guys, Brother Wes here, Minister of Students at Dimmon Avenue Baptist Church. We want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. And we ask that you feel free to share. But in your sharing, please don't charge for those copies. Though these podcasts are helpful, they are not an adequate substitute for plugging into a local congregation near you. Go find a church near you and go and serve Jesus Christ alongside them. And may these podcasts equip you to do that better. Grace and peace to you through our Lord Jesus Christ.